Jack Griffin, City Manager here at the City of San Marcos. Welcome to the latest installment of the San Marcos City Podcast. Uh, this one will be uh, essentially a, a business recap of June. Um, and we had a couple council meetings, regular meetings, and one special meeting. Uh, we'll also be doing here next week a podcast about the uh, Creek Infrastructure Project. And then we'll try to do one by the end of the month on uh, a little more in-depth on our general plan. Uh, as that is, as that work is uh, speeding up and getting into the into the fun, really fun parts of it. So I think it's a good time to uh, we'll do a podcast on that more specifically. So uh, this one will be just about the the council business in June. So we had meeting regular meetings on June fourteenth, June twenty eighth, and we had a special meeting on June sixteenth. So I'll jump right into the June fourteenth meeting um, on the consent calendar. It wasn't that long of agenda, but it had a big item on it that we had our budget. So on the consent calendar. Um, we had a final map in the Highlands uh, project. That's uh, you know, these are pretty routine pieces of a, of the new uh, residential community being built at the end of uh, Las Postas Road behind the uh, Santa Fe Hills area. Um, that's been going on for quite a while. Um, so another final map, another series of lots and what have you, uh, is part of that project. Uh, we accepted a grant from the state Ham- homeland security grant program. We get this every year. It's grant funds that we can use come from the federal government to assist with uh, sort of emergency planning, terrorism planning, those kinds of things um, as they come from Homeland Security. Uh, we had an item, uh, kind of an interesting item. Uh, it's, it, the, it reads, identifying the terms and conditions for fire department response away from the official duty station and assigned to an emergency inc- incident. So what all that means is we want to make sure we get paid, reimbursed uh, properly whenever our uh, fire is mostly fire, but it could be other staff theoretically, but, uh, mostly fire when they're called away either to go work a fire, uh, outside of the San Diego area. Um, you know, obviously there's been lots of fires in Northern central California the last couple of years, fires in Arizona, Colorado, Oregon, uh, you name it. So, uh, we tend to be asked to send crews and or equipment to those incidents. Um, and that doesn't always have to be a fire. Uh, we sent incident, we sent some folks, uh, to some of the hurricane stuff that happened a few years ago. Um, so anyway, so this is, that's, this item's all about making sure, uh, we get properly reimbursed both for the time, um, that, and, a, and, of, and our equipment that's out on those incidents, but also, you know, depending on, the number of incidents and the number of amount of resources those incidents are utilizing, you know, that can leave departments a little bit stretched back home to do all their normal routine stuff. And so sometimes we see bump ups in overtime costs uh, when we have a particularly busy fire season outside of the area. Um, so that's important that we uh, make sure we get properly reimbursed for that. And and that does turn out to be a fairly, you know, unfortunately some years a fairly large sum of money. So Make sure that's right. Uh, we authorized an amendment uh, for the construction con- support contract we have with a company called Four Leaf. They're our construction management firm overseeing the uh, entire creek infrastructure project uh, on our behalf. 
Um, it's such a large project. Uh, we don't have the staffing, uh, either the, the numbers or the expertise to, to completely manage a project of that size. And so, um, we, uh, we've had four leaf on board and this amendment gets them through, uh, the conclusion of the projects, which we're hoping will be about this time next year. Um, and like I said, we'll do a, um, a podcast next week, uh, more specifically on that because we had some major milestones here this spring and uh, we still have a lot of activity going on down there. So it's a good time to do an update on that. Uh, we had an item calling for the election on November 8th. So this fall we'll have an election in the city. Uh, in terms of the local races, you'll have the mayor and two council members. So uh, it'll be uh, council member Nunez uh, and council member Walton. They're two seats currently and in the mayor's race, and we consolidate our election with uh, the county, so they all happen at the same time and in the same packet of ballots and all that kind of stuff. So um, it's, a, it's a routine thing we have to do whenever there's an election. Um, we approved uh, our project list for projects that are funded by what's called SB1. That was the modification to the gas tax that in California that happened in 2017. Um, so we get a certain amount of money. It's formula-based. Um, from SB1, and we almost all use always use all of it for pavement rehabilitation, which is the case again. Um, but we're required under that act in 2017 to uh, do a resolution and submit it to the state, letting them know how we're using the money. So we're doing that. Um, we had an expenditure for tickets reimbursements for things that uh, council members and or staff are invited and sort of should attend. Uh, and then we had an interesting item. It was a letter uh, in opposition to a bill that was working its way through the assembly. It was Assembly Bill 25 or 2357. I know the numbers are... <laughs> Uh, the people who do that for a living keep track of that stuff. It's pretty crazy. Anyway, um, so we drafted a letter opposition to AB 2357. It had to do with the Surplus Land Act, and that sounds sort of deep in the weeds, and it is. Um, but for a city like San Marcos, it's kind of a big deal. Uh, the city owns, um, and I've talked about it before in the context of budgets and the property holdings that we have, um, but we own a fair amount of real estate that is used for um, I would say this, some people might say non-governmental purposes. Uh, it's not being used for governmental purposes in terms of the actual physical use on the property. I can tell you that the funds that come in certainly fund the governmental purposes that we do. Um, so like Creekside Marketplace, um, a lot of parts in the city hall, number of other parcels around town um, that are revenue generating for the city in terms of rent, um, whether it's building space rent or just ground rent. Um, so, the, the state over, I would say, the last few years has been chipping away at um, the autonomy of local government in terms of what they are able to do with the land that they own, especially land that they decide they may want to sell because they don't think they have a purpose for it. Um, that's hence the Surplus Land Act. Um, and the state has adopted a series of bills um, that would have – um, or that are targeted at requiring cities when they do want to dispose of surplus land to make it first available for affordable housing um, and understanding why there's a, there's a desire on the state to do that. Um, there are provisions in the law that um, the state regulus, regulation agencies following the passage of the original Surplus Land Act sort of um, was the best way to put it. Um, they grew the regulations beyond 
what the law actually said, I think is a fair way to describe it. And so there was this bill to essentially then amend the law to come back up to the regulations, which were fairly onerous uh, and put a, quite a burden and sort of could create a pretty significant devaluation of property potentially that uh, local jurisdictions might own. So um, this bill came to our attention at the staff level. Uh, we worked with our representatives at the League of Cities, uh, made them aware of the issue. From our perspective, a number of other cities in the state also um, drafted letters of opposition, which is a fairly common practice to have cities draft letters. Um, we, we had an item on the agenda in May where we had a slew of letters. Um, uh, but most of them are more, um, I mean, this wasn't targeted at San Marcos. More, most of them are more general, um, but this one had, a, we could figure out a pretty direct impact on San Marcos. Right? So we were particularly concerned about this one. But no, anyway, so we draft, the council approved the opposition letter um, and then happily, um, a few days later, and we won't take credit for it entirely, but I think it had something to do with um, not just us, but the other cities in the league reaching out to the sponsor of that bill, and that was pulled out of committee. And so it's uh, no longer um, going through the legislature, but um, these things do have a tendency to come back. So we'll keep a close eye and we'll pay attention to that um, and see if it does and be ready to react again. And so the last item on the agenda was a budget. I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, I've talked about the budget in the past. Um, so our total general fund budget this year almost touched $90 million. Um, the, the premise that we came into this budget with was trying to get as close to back to where we were, um, mostly from a staffing and a surplus or services perspective, um, which would necessarily probably get our in, uh, expenditures back on the similar trajectory that they were prior to the pandemic. Um, when the pandemic hit, it's a, you know, we, and there was no uh, ability or expectation of a, how long it was going to last. Was there going to be any help? Um, and eventually help did come financially from the federal government, but um, you know, cities had to do a lot of things to try and, you know, keep things going. Um, we weren't allowed to just shut down our operations. Obviously, police, fire, public works, all that sort of stuff has to keep going. Um, but we did have, we did make some changes. And so the course of the last two years, we've not had a hiring freeze in place, but we've certainly been judicious about when positions have come open, uh, holding off on refilling them. So we've refilled some, but we haven't refilled all of them. Um, and so as part of this budget, we were, you know, hoping to I think we had an additional eight positions coming back that this position, this budget would fund bringing those back, um, which would get us close to where we were pre-pandemic. And we've done some internal organizational shifts. So the, the need for all those positions probably isn't necessary. We've done some things and come, I think we've, we've all become a little bit more efficient, uh, just learning how to do things differently with fewer people. Um, so, but I think this gets us pretty darn close to where we were pre-pandemic, uh, uh, employee-wise and service level-wise. And then interestingly enough, it sort of follows that the budget that the council approved at, at an $89 million uh, number is about 16% higher than it was four years ago, which makes sense that we'd be back on that sort of trajectory because our budget typically had about a 4% growth as a growing city. Um, you know, our budget grew, you know, a little bit faster than the rate of inflation. Our revenues grew at a little faster than the rate of inflation. That's the nature of cities that are still in their sort of their growth phase. Um, so that getting back into that sort of 4% uh, 
per year trajectory. So our, if you look at the trend lines, our, our line in 22-23 sort of picks up where you would have generally expected it to be at the end of 1819, or the budget we adopted for 1920, which obviously then became different when the pandemic hit in the spring of 20. Um, so um, so it's a good budget, um, but I have to say that the one of the major reasons why we got there was the second round of the federal COVID money that we were able to use to replace uh, lost revenues, which in our case was mostly in rent, but also in sales tax and, and also charges for services. So um, we have that last bit of one-time money that helps us get to um, that place in our budget. And so the challenge that we had not wasn't really getting the 22-23 budget balanced, but it was going to be how do we get uh, put some bumpers and shock absorbers in place on the 22-23 budget so that when we get to 23-24 and those positions we brought back in, we're not in a cutting mode again because that one-time money is, has gone away. So uh, we, we budgeted our reserves, our revenues fairly conservatively. Um, one of the things that we did after the departments had sort of finished up all their work with our finance department that we then um, um, increased all of their supplies and services accounts. So those are the accounts we use to either buy things or buy services um, by an additional 3% above what they were asking sort of as an inflation hedge, whether 3% will be enough um, <laughs> remains to be seen. Um, but the, but the, the departments in developing their budgets that are, are also planned in some number of amount of inflation as well. So, um, so we tried to put some shock absorbers into the budget. One of the biggest shock absorbers we have is our general fund reserves. The city council policy is that we have 40% of our budget in reserve and that's liquid. Um, and so that means about $36 million. And so we're maintaining that policy. We're adhering to that 40% reserve. So, uh, we've got that cushion and then we have other, uh, we don't call them, we don't make them part of the general fund reserves. Um, but we have other general funds that are sort of set aside for sp some specific purposes, but can be used for, for anything, um, that the city does. And, um, when you, if you add those in, it takes our reserves up over 50%. So we've got some nice shock absorbers built into it. So hopefully then when we get to the spring of 2023 and we're doing that budget, uh, that our, our fiscal year starts July 1st. So we won't have too much pain. Um, you know, obviously we don't have any control of where the economy is going and inflation and, um, some recording this on the second, I think on, June 30th, the Atlanta uh, Fed came out and with their projections for the second quarter at negative 1%. So that was the second consecutive quarter below zero. So that's sort of as the, that's the official uh, definition of a, of a recession. And, and we'll see if the actual number results in that, but I don't think anybody's be surprised if it does. Um, so it's always a little trickier to, um, to manage and just, just, you know, a city, just like a business in a, in a recession time. Um, are, you know, if the recession's not too deep and not too long, it shouldn't be that big of a problem. And there's actually some positives in recessions that sort of right-size some things in the economy. Um, you know, cities that rely on a lot of sales tax, more so than we do. Um, so cities that have lots of car dealers and things like that, those are the kinds of things that um, in, a, in a prolonged or deep recession start to get hurt pretty badly because people you know, if, if they can, they'll put off that car purchase for another year. And lots of people make that decision that I can, I'd like to get a new one, but I'll let it, I'll, I can live with what I've got for another year. Um, we don't have any of, you know, we have an RV 
dealership, which, you know, we pay attention to in terms of these questions, but we're not, we don't have any car dealerships and things like that. So our sales tax is more on the sort of the, just the basic things of life, um, as opposed to not the cars aren't the basic things of life, but you understand what I mean? The sort of the day to day kind of stuff. So we're a little bit, we're not recession proof, but we're, 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 we're safer. And then with our rent has always been a nice bumper. Um, and, um, and I think I talked about in the last meeting or last podcast, rather, we had signed a lease with total wine and to go into the staple space. So our, our rent picture will brighten as the year goes along. Um, so the budget's in good shape. Uh, it's balanced as it's required to be, but it's required by the state constitution to do that. So every city technically balances their budget. Um, but I think we're in really good shape. Uh, for the coming year, we can ride out whatever the storm is that's coming um, and be in a good place to have 23-24 be, um, while it'll be tighter, it won't be all that, it shouldn't be all that difficult for us to figure out a way to get that one balanced too without too much pain. So that was the budget. Council approved that uh, happily on a 5-0 vote. Uh, the Budget Review Committee members, uh, some of them came to the meeting and uh, they do great work for us, working with our staff throughout from, say, January through the budget. Um, they're a great sounding board um, for the staff in terms of as we prepare the budget, they ask really great questions um, about why things are the way they are within the budget and within city operations. Uh, so a number of the um, budget review committee members, including our chairman, Chris Freeman, he made a presentation to council supporting the staff's recommended budget. So. Um, so the budget's done, and uh, I'm recording this July 2nd, so um, the fiscal year started yesterday. Uh, so moving on to the next meeting, uh, on June 16th, so a couple nights later, we had a joint meeting of the City Council and the General Plan Advisory Committee, um, and that was really about having um, the Council and the, we call it the GPAC, everything, if it's got a name, if, if you can make an acronym out of something in government, you do, so we have the GPAC, um, and um, that was to uh, hear from our planet general plan consultant about the land use element of the general plan. So I'm not going to get into all of this in, in much detail because, we're like I said, we're going to do a podcast later in July that's just focused on the general plan. But I think the council had a, had a good meeting with um, you know, quite a few members of the GPAC were there, uh, members of the public were there, and talked about some properties in particular and then some of the sort of the overriding issues that not only San Marcos faces, but all cities face in terms of planning for future growth. And, and obviously what mostly everybody talks about is the housing issues um, and how to try and resolve those. Um, there's demands placed on cities to produce housing, even though cities, generally speaking, don't ever build any housing, um, but they do I mean, allocate land from a zoning and a general plan land use perspective for where housing can be built. Um, so some of the questions um, that um, cities have to deal with as they do their general plan is how do we, um, how do we meet the numbers that we're assigned to meet um, within the timeframes that we're required to? Um, and can we create an environment where those numbers can be met and we can still preserve the quality of life and the level of municipal services that we're providing. So anyway, that was a good conversation. And uh, so we'll do, we'll have our consultant come on and do a podcast with me um, and some members, maybe some members of our staff later this month and really uh, dig into what the general plan is and, and where we're at in the process and then what's next um, as we go forward through the summer. Uh, so real quick, I'll move on to the June 28th meeting, a pretty short agenda on June 28th. 
Um, we had an item, this kind of an interesting item, uh, back in 2002, the city council adopted a resolution which, which restricted the city from doing any work, any work on the San Marcos Boulevard between Knoll Avenue or is it Knoll Road? I'm not sure. I should know that. Um, but Knoll over there by Home Depot, I know where Home Depot is, and uh, the western edge of the city um, in terms of anything that would require a lane closure on San Marcos Boulevard during the day. So we weren't allowed to do that. Um, and so that kind of necessitated us to do almost all the work we do on San Marcos Boulevard at, in night or on the weekends, which is a very expensive proposition. Um, and, and, and there's, you know, obviously there were reasons for that. San Marcos Boulevard has got tons of traffic. Um, it's, it's, a, it's the main east-west corridor uh, parallel to the freeway through town, even though Mission sort of does the same thing on the other side. It just doesn't have the traffic volumes that San Marcos Boulevard has. Um, and uh, so uh, we've learned some lessons, particularly in 2021, um, as part of our creek project, we've had a lot of work on San Marcos Boulevard. It's utility-related at this point. Um, so there have been lane closures and throughout, um, I would say, the last 8 to 12 months. Um, and we did grant an exception for the creek because it was just going to be so difficult to get the creek done if we were requiring to do all that at night. Um, but what we've learned is while it's, 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 it's not great and no one likes to – maybe sit through a cycle of a light or two. Um, it hasn't been all that debilitating to have um, that happen. Um, and most of that's been west of Las Posas, say out towards Las Posas and Pacific. Um, but it's been, it's been fairly manageable. Um, so we've asked the council to grant us relief on that 20-year-old res resolution and allow us within reason, so not during peak hours, not, not in front of San Marcos High School when it's drop-off or pickup time, not during rush hour down by the freeway. But if we can get in and get out, um, do some pothole, crack ceiling, landscape work, those kinds of things, and even if we have to temporarily close a lane um, during the course of a working day, um, that we'd be allowed to do that. Um, and so the council was willing to approve that, which we appreciate. Um, we'll save all of us, you, all the taxpayers of the city, some money because – like I said, it's expensive for us to, to pay the overtime at night or on the weekends. It's expensive. The contracts we would issue if it's a contract-related work, you know, it's always going to be far more expensive in those hours than normal hours. And then the last piece of it I would talk about, I would mention, is that um, certainly by maybe by the end of summer, uh, certainly fall, uh, Discovery will be open all the way through to Twin Oaks Valley Road. And it might not be the finished condition at that point because we'll still be doing our work at Via Vera Cruz. We'll talk about that uh, next week's podcast on the Creek Project. Um, but Discovery will be open um, all the way through, essentially. And so that will provide a pretty significant relief of valve for traffic that's um, going through town um, and not necessarily getting on the freeway. Um, you know, that is the bottleneck for us for, in large part is the – is the, is the traffic on San Marcos going west on San Marcos Boulevard trying to get on the, or going east on San Marcos Boulevard, rather, going then getting east on the freeway. Um, but anyway, so Discovery will provide a relief valve for folks if they want to get away from that traffic that maybe you're going passing through, not, not going onto the freeway. Um, so that should help also and make the issues on San Marcos Boulevard. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to promise it's going to be tremendously better, but it, it should be somewhat better and a little less delays through there. Um, so it was kind of an interesting item on the consent calendar. 
um, we had an item to approve a contract for um, purchasing some new uh, police or fire command vehicles. Those would be the vehicles you'd see sort of the um, sort of larger SUV type vehicles that our battalion chiefs um, or our chief, our division or fire chief drive. Um, so the technology in those things is pretty impressive. Um, so they're a pretty expensive piece of equipment, not quite fire truck or ambulance expensive, but they're not cheap. Um, and then we had two items uh, that are annual items um, starting the process for uh, the special tax assessments for what do we call our landscaping and lighting district. Um, and then also for the, what we call the Vallecitos town center, which is over by the Costco off Nordahl. And so those are, those are special taxes to do certain levels of maintenance. Uh, the first one is citywide, but not everybody in the city's in it. It's an older relic one and it's slowly shrinking and someday will disappear maybe, but, um, as, as properties annex out of it into the newer one. Um, but it's still something that's going to go on for quite a long time. Uh, doesn't have an increase. It's the same every year for the properties that are in it. Um, then the second one actually has a CPI and inflation based, uh, increase. Uh, so moving past the consent calendar, the council had their, uh, we do it sort of twice a year appointments to city boards, committees, and commissions. And so, um, some, some of the board people that serve on our various boards, their terms expire in June, some expire in December. Um, so we typically do this in June and January. So on last week, we had appointments to the Planning Commission, the Budget Review Committee, Climate Action Workforce, the Community Foundation, and the Youth Commission. Uh, those are the ones that were uh, where folks who applied and then were appointed. Um, so that happened, and all the spots that were vacant, with the exception of two alternates at the Budget Review Committee, were filled. Um, and then we were supposed to have two public hearings. Um, one of them, uh, the first one was... Uh, we're required to adopt what's called the city's regional transportation improvement program and submit that to SANDAG. And what that means is uh, any project that's funded, it's a transportation related project that's funded with federal state or or local regional sales tax um, has to be part of the city's what we call RTIP, of course, another acronym. Um, and we are required by July 1st to send that to Sandag, which then they put together all the different cities' versions, and that becomes the regional uh, plan. And um, we it's kind of a short deadline for us because um, it usually comes right after we adopt the budget. So we adopted the budget on the 14th, which included the capital portion. Um, and then what this does is it mimics the transportation-related portion of our capital program as part of the RTIP. So off that goes to Sandag on time. And then the last item was uh, an appeal of a conditional use permit extension for a project that's called Lomas Santa Marcos. That's what's colloquially known as the old movie studio down in Santa Leo area. Uh, so the property owner had given, uh, provided a conditional use permit, I think it was three years ago, um, which was expiring in 2021. They applied to get that extended for three years. The Planning Commission approved that uh, in March. And um, a local resident filed an appeal to that, and that appeal goes to city council. Uh, so the hearing was set for uh, the 28th. However, the appell appellant uh, informed us the evening before that he couldn't attend, and so the council was willing to uh, continue that hearing to its July 26th meeting where it'll happen, I guess, rain or shine is the way to describe that. So anyway, that's the last item that was on the agenda. Um, for the council. So that sort of rounds out the June business. 
Um, busy month, uh, always is with the budget, um, but we're blessed to be in a city that's got, you know, solid financial um, backbone. Um, so we tend to weather the storms pretty well. And so I think that um, we've got, we all got some tough times ahead, it looks like. Um, but uh, we've, we think we've got the financial planning in place that it won't be, uh, people won't notice too much of a, uh, of, a, of a change in terms of city service levels, unless, of course, it's much worse than anybody can anticipate at this point, and then we'll just have to wait and see. Um, so with that, uh, thanks again for listening, and thanks for subscribing. Please pass the word along, and we're doing a podcast, and um, let people know and try to get the word out about what's going on in San Marcos. We certainly appreciate everybody who listens, and we look forward to furthering the conversation about San Marcos down the road. Thanks. We'll be